May 2nd, 2023. We're in Masechet We just concluded this statement in the Gemara, which was cited twice, which was Rabbi Zera was making fun of the Bavla'e Tipsha'ed. Do you recall that? Rabbi Zera said about the silly, the stupid Babylonians, they, Achle Nahama Benahama. He exclaimed about them, and it was mentioned in the context of a halakha discussion here in our Gemara, but his expression was outside of a halakha dis- discussion. He said, can you imagine the Babylonians, what do they do? They eat bread together with bread. What he was really seemingly referring to was the fact that they ate bread together with porridge, which in his mind was inappropriate. Who does that? You eat bread with meat, you eat bread with fish, you eat bread with other things, not with other bread or items which derive from grain or wheat of that sort. And the Gemara really cited this in the context of Eruv Tavshilin. Is it appropriate to use Dayesa, to use porridge, as, uh, as the uh, Tavshil, as your, uh, your cooked item for Eruv Tavshilin? Just a moment or two on this statement, though, because the statement wasn't made in the context of Eruv Tavshilin. The statement was made, generally speaking, Rabbi Zera exclaimed that the Gemara cites it in the context of Eruv Tavshilin. You see, we don't eat, it's not normal to eat porridge, it's not normal to eat uh, items that come from grain together with other items that come from grain. Uh, what was Rabbi Zera doing? Now, it might be, he just uh, he was a culinary expert and he made fun of people who had different opinions. Alternatively, my general approach and Masoret on these sorts of matters is Hachamim are speaking about matters of content. And his expression of this eating of bread together with bread of a Babylonian practice has some depth to it. So I'd suggest the following very briefly. Rabbi Zera, we know biographically from the Gemara. The Gemara Masechet Bava Metziah and Daf Pehe tells us that when Rabbi Zera left Bavel to go to Eres Israel, first and foremost, that's an important important detail. It means Rabbi Zera looking back at the Babylonians or in the present before he leaves to Israel is not so happy with the Babylonian practices. Now the Gemara over there says that as he left Bavel to go to Eres Yisrael to make Aliyah, he fasted a hundred times in a hundred days in order to forget the Torah of Bavel so that he could develop the new Torah of Eres Yisrael. Now that's very significant. It means, it means that Rabbi Zera, his mindset in terms of thought, was in some way inspired by Torah Eres Yisrael, and he had either regret or he just didn't like or didn't agree with the approach in Bavel. The Gemara Masechet Berachot Andaf Nunzayin, as a result, may be relevant to this as well, says that Rabbi Zera determined it was time to go to Eres Yisrael when he had a dream and in that dream, there was the appearance of sa'are, of barley. Uh, that's already very telling. It means Rabbi Zera had some sort of affiliation with regards to his disdain or his excitement about Eretz Israel and his disdain of uh, Bavel with regards to grains, with regards to bread types of items. Uh, the last, in addition to several others, key in my mind with regards to this is the Gemara in Hulin and Dafkofhe, where Bizera is discussing in between milk and meat products. And now the halakha is that you need to wash your mouth in the middle. You can't just go from a milk product and eat a meat product. What's the appropriate food with which you can distinguish, with which you can clean and dis- differentiate between one and the other? Of course, it's bread, says Rabbi Zera. So Rabbi Zera, bread represents, perhaps, and we'll discuss this a bit more, uh, represents differentiation. It represents the ability to distinguish between one and the other. As a result, already in our Gemara, we can appreciate on a greater level his statement to Babylonians, 
They don't know how to think properly. They don't know how to have da'at in the appropriate sense to distinguish between one thing and another. They eat bread together with bread. Bread is supposed to be the vehicle, the emblem, the symbol of separating between A and B. And instead, they just mix all breads together. They eat bread together. Would you note the Gemara in Masechet Megillah and Davzayin, the well-known Gemara, where there's the statement of Hayav Inish Basume Bepuraya Adelayada Ben Arur Haman Baruch Mordechai, the statement that a person is supposed to become intoxicated on Purim to the extent that they cannot and will not be able to differentiate to differentiate between Haman's cursedness and Mordechai's blessedness. That Gemara then tells a story how Rabbah and Rabizera were together for a meal on Purim. They became intoxicated to the extent that the Gemara tells Rabbah got up and killed Rabizera. Some miraculous occurrence. Rabbah prays and Rabizera is cured. The next year, Rabbah again invites Rabizera, our same Rabizera, over for the meal. And he says, No, not every year do we have miracles performed. But you understand, Rabizera again is the one who says, you believe in the wine aspect of blunting, of, of, of blurring the lines between A and B. Me, I believe in the bread aspect. I believe that we have to differentiate. You have a Babylonian approach where you seem to mix things and mingle them in the wrong fashion. I believe in the Eretz Israel concept of bread representing differentiation representing dot, representing the ability to distinguish. He's speaking matters much deeper than a culinary uh, diet or appetite or approach. He's speaking his approach to Torah, his approach to life. Lastly, among many others that I have dabbled with in this context, is the Gemara Masech Berachot and Dafmem. There's no Rebizera there, so it's not perfect. But the Gemara over there is talking about what was the tree from which Adam and Hava ate from. There are many opinions, to be sure. Uh, but the Gemara has one opinion which says it was not a tree at all, or not a tree as we would see it today, and it came from a stalk of Hita, of wheat. And the Gemara says, I'll tell you how I can prove that. Teda, you should know that a child only knows to distinguish between his parents and others, to call out Abba ve'ima once dagan, once grain has gone into his mouth. The rabbis are saying, well, it's, it's hadat, it's the ability to distinguish, it's the ability to differentiate. It has to be that that individual ate from bread. Bread represents, in the eyes of the rabbis, the ability to distill and distinguish. The difference between A and B is performed through the representation of bread. Vizera's vision of Eretz Yisrael, Seora, there's now barley, there's now appropriate bread. As he looks back, or as he's unhappy in Bavel, he says, Hane bavla'e tipsha'e. Can you imagine these silly Babylonians? They don't know how to use bread in its representation and what it stands for appropriately. They eat nahama nahama. they eat bread together with bread. They defy the whole aspect. They act like my old friend Rabbah in not, have, not being able to distinguish between Haman and Mordechai. Me? I'm an Eretz Israel individual. I fasted 100 days in my attempt to forget this way of Bavel. Okay, that's the thoughts on that. That's a wonderful question. Morris Ma- points out the obvious irony that we are mavdil ben kodesh lecholan motzayesh shabbat, ideally with wine, although I will remind you that whereas for kiddush it's a lot more difficult, halachically speaking, to use beer, which of course is made from barley, and, uh, but for havdalah it's a lot more applicable for good reason. 
but a, a longer conversation as to, and we've talked about it, as to the role of wine. Yes, wine in the Gemara and Megillah is to blur the differentiation, which makes it ironic that the Da'at of Mosei Shabbat is through wine. That was his separation. That's exactly what I'm... No, no, no. Between dairy, between dairy and, and meat. Ooh, you're always on to the next kula. No, no, no. No, 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 no. He didn't go that way. No, he didn't go that way. No, 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 no. Says the Gemara uh, now, and we began this yesterday, Tanei Rabbi Hiya. Rabbi Hiya taught the following from a Tanaeic source. Adashim the statement of Rabbi Hiya is that Adashim, lentils, which are at the bottom of the pot, which means to say they were left over. They weren't part of, or they were, but they were not the primary um, uh, part of this uh, cooked item. The primary part was going to be eaten or separated for Yom Tov, let's say. But now there's something left over at the bottom. Can you use that for Eruvet Tavshilin? Why would you not be able to? Rashi says maybe it's not Hashiveh. Maybe it doesn't have a Hashivut, and importance. Ubetele, and as a result it's Patel. It's annulled halachically speaking. No, you're allowed to use it in such a circumstance. Again, Rashi adds another detail important for us if this was done on Eruv Yom Tov. This is not that you were eating on Yom Tov and there's something left. Oh, let me make that my Eruv Tavshilin. No, 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 it's my Eruv Yom Tov. We know that from our Mishnah already. Rashi injects that over here. The Hanemile However, he qualifies, Rabbi Hiya does, the itbehu kazayit. There needs to be the measurement of kazayit of these adashim shebeshule at the bottom of the kedera, the pot. Uh, why is that a necessary component? We're going to read in just a bit on Daftetzayin Amutbet at the top of the page that all eruvet havshili need a shi'ur kazayit. Why is he telling us that there's a kazayit? There are different approaches in the Rishonim. The most basic approach uh, is that uh, what he's suggesting over here is that if the lentils were spread out, you can't imagine them all as a kazayit. Why not? Because a few lentils here, imagine a kazayit not being a huge measurement, and a few lentils strewn out, that's not hashu. If they're all together is his statement, that's a kazayit, and that gives it hashu, doesn't it? Can you separate from what you're cooking for Yom that's probably what we're dealing with. I mean, what else are those adashim prepared for? An of Yom Tov meal? I'm imagining it's for a Yom Tov meal. You, 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 you separate it into something else. You had some leftover. You put the... But that's the initial statement. The initial statement is the adashim kedera. What I'm, the way it seems clear is even if it was prepared for Yom Tov, and even if it was prepared, in other words, the fact is, this was not your mindset to begin with when you cooked it. You had it left over. You're using it, you're reappropriating it for Shabbat meals. This, this is different though, because I is doing twenty, uh, whereas Wonderful question. So Jesse says that, I'm sorry, cut you off, but I'm explaining your question already. Jesse says, the end of our Mishnah did say that if a person ate from the Eruv Tavshilin on Yom Tov, you have to have Shi'er Mimenu Kol Shehu, you have to have even just a little bit left over. So he's already asking a question, he's, or, or pointing out, he says, our Gemara is talking about a Kazayit, that's a measurement. Kol Shehu means there is no measurement. Truth is, the Gemara will deal with this right at the top of Dav Tetzayin Amutbet. And the Gemara will suggest, ironically, that kol shehu in our Mishnah actually means a kazayit. Um, not that your approach is a valid approach, not the Gemara, not that it's after the fact. The Gemara will say that is. The Mishnah said kol shehu. Well, I mean, we'll deal with this when we get there. It'll take two minutes. Anyway, says the, uh, hopefully two minutes. Says the Gemara, Amar Rav Yitzhak Bereh de Rav Yehuda. 
Shamnunit. Shamnunit means the fat from meat. Shal gabeha sakin, which is left over on the knife as you were slicing and preparing meat. What you're allowed to do is gorero. You can skim it off. Vesomech alav mishum Even though that wasn't your intent, obviously your intent in cutting the meat was to cut the meat. Now you have just a little bit fat left over on the on the knife. That's sufficient. You're allowed to use that for your eruve tavshilin. However, he as well qualifies this. Diit behu kazait. It needs to be that it's collected together and you have a kazait. Rashi interestingly points out again, uh, Rashi says, Somech uh, alehem, Rashi about eight lines from the bottom, me'erev yom tob l'shem eruv. Rashi again adds in that word, me'erev yom tob. There are some who read these Rashis, these two Rashis, specifically this one, uh, that Rashi is telling us back to the conversation with Jared a few days ago, that the Eruv Tavshili needs to be specifically on Erev Yom Tov. It can't be a few days in advance. We discussed this in Tur in Siman Taf Kof Kavzayin. Alternatively, Rashi just means not on Yom Tov, as opposed to, and he's telling you, it needs to be before Yom Tov. When he says Erev Yom Tov, he just means this can't be done on Yom Tov. It's everything I was trying to tell you until now. It can't be that it was Yom Tov food and you have a little left. Oh, let me make this my Eruv Tavshilin. Defied the whole point. That's the whole purpose of Eruv Tavshilin is that it's prepared beforehand. When he says Erev Yom Tov, he's not telling you as opposed to a few days in advance. All right. That's what we have with regards to these matters. Continues the Gemara a little bit or a lot more with regards to the foodstuffs, the products that can or cannot be used for Eruv Tavshilin. If there are small, salted fish, maybe. First and foremost, not a statement, it, it begins with regards to Eruv Tavshilin, but rather with regards to Bishul Nochrim. Mishule Nochrim is a Gemara in Masechet Avodah Zarah and Daflamet Chet. Bishul Akum says Morris. That's a reference to the rabbinic restriction of not eating from food made by a non Jew. Even if it's kosher food, there's a rabbinic restriction about not eating from the food that was prepared by a non Jew. Rashi here on the right hand side explains Rashi's opinion here in Masechet Betzan Daftetzayin is that the reason the rabbis forbade eating non Jews food, even if it is kosher, is because of a fear of intermingling and in turn intermarriage. I'm going to get too close to them, they're going to invite me over. My daughter, their son, their son, my daughter are going to become very close because of a fancy meal that we're eating together. The rabbis therefore forbade eating food prepared by a non Jew. Uh, Rashi, however, points out, importantly in our sugya, one of the two exceptions to the rule. There are two exceptions. We accept both of the exceptions. One of them is relevant for us here. Well, let me mention the other one first. The first one is that the food that's prepared by the non-Jew, hard to objectify, but necessary to do so, needs to be which means to say the food is a fancy enough food, a proper enough food, that it would be served literally at a king's table, figuratively at a wedding, at a White House event. It's something that's appropriate to be served there. The rabbi's vision and understanding was you're only going to intermingle and actually become intimate if it's fancy food, if it's a fancy meal, if it's otherwise, they didn't restrict it in such a circumstance. That's not relevant to our sukya. The other exception is if the food could be prepared without preparing it. What do I mean by that? It's not necessary to cook it. It can be eaten raw. Um, in, interesting question. The post scheme in today's generation do debate sushi. Not so simple. The question with, well, we could discuss. We'll, we'll discuss sushi separately, maybe in a separate class. 
I understand exactly what you're talking about. I'm telling you, not, not simple because by extent, not, not, that, not that this isn't the reality, but the poskim happened to argue against this, whether it's a humrah or not, whether Mars will enjoy it or not. They, uh, in other words, by extension, you would then say that fish today entirely are not a problem. And maybe that's the case. The poskim have not yet uh, given into that. They have a lot of reasons to suspect that sushi is not the norm per se. Even if it could be eaten, it's eaten because it's got the rice around. It's not the normal way. There's all sorts of teshubot in that respect. There is potentially in the next several decades potential for some sort of breakthrough in this that fish won't be a problem of bishulakum. We're not there um, in terms of the Pesach Halacha world. I don't know if we ever will be. But anyway, the statement here then is as well if it's ne'echal kemoshu hai, if the food can be eaten in a normal fashion, in a regular way, without cooking it. The understanding over there is that the cooking, which might be then performed by the non Jew, it's not a significant part of this invitation that they cooked the, the, the apple. Uh, all right, I could have eaten it not cooked. This wasn't very significant. As a result, in our sugya that goes like this, if you're dealing with um, fish, that small fish, which are already salted, and as a result, because of their saltedness, they're eaten already, and then the nanju takes it and says, I'm going to cook this. Uh, there's no problem whatsoever. So again, back in the Gemara, Amarav excuse me, they say Amarav Amarav Dagim Miluhim. Before the cooking, if they were to salt them, and the salting works as the cooking, and Nochrim, we don't consider that cooked fish. That's salted fish. Salted fish is not does not um, rise to the level of prohibition with regards to bishul akum. It's not considered bishul in the context of non-Jewish cooking. That's what we're talking about. But we go a, a step further here. The truth is, we go a step further here, and um, the, the statement over here is, Amar of Yosef, V'im sal'an nochri, somech alehem ishum eruve tavshilim. Well, fascinatingly, says Rav Yosef, well, if I were to have a non-Jew who either salted the fish or got salted fish and then cooked the fish, well, the cooking of the fish didn't prohibit me from eating from them because it was already in the Echal Hai. I can, as a result, consider this a cooked item for Eruv Tavshilin. That's a fascinating thing. On the one hand, with regards to... That's right. On the, that's right. On the one hand, with regards to Bishul Goyim, it's not considered Bishul at all, since it was already salted. It's not considered Bishul. On the other hand, with regards to Eruv Tavshilin, I'll consider this Bishul. It's cooked to the extent that it's sufficient for my Eruv Tavshilin. It's a cooked item. doesn't need a Kavanah. You don't need a Kavanah. You need a... You need it when you set it as an eruv, not when it's cooked. So he's cooking it, and I'm having kavanah that that's the shame. Not for the cooking. When you so took it from him, you say, this will be my meal. That's the eruv, not in the cooking process. doesn't matter the kavanah in the cooking process. Um, now, the, the statement here significantly in the Rishonim debate, this seems to be, again, Amar of Yosef, Im Sal'an, Nochri. It's even if the non-Jew then fried it, even if the non-Jew then cooked it, that, that might be the biggest hidush over here. It's not, it might go without say, stating that if you took salted fish and you then cooked it and you then fried it, it's okay. So that even the non-Jew may have done the salting and the cooking, the fact that he did a salting part first nullified it from being a problem of bishul goyim and the hidush is you could then use it as a... You can buy a salted fish 
One more time, the state, that's right, and we're going to read in just a moment this issue explicitly, um, implicitly what, what you're asking Eli. Eli asks, can you therefore buy, Ashkenazim, this is the way it's discussed in Mishnah Berurah, herring. Herring is already salted, and that's the process of some sort, I guess some herring, I thought it's pickled, but anyway, that's, so can you take that and use it as your Eduv Tavshu? We haven't seen that yet. What we've seen in our Gemara is if it's then roasted, if it's then fried, if it's then cooked, then it's okay. So you could, that's what it certainly sounds like right now. You can eat it, but at this point we're suggesting even though you can eat it, it's not going to be sufficient for my Eruv Tavshilim. Says the Gemara, Amar of Yosef, Im Salah Nochri Somech Alehem, Mishum Eruv Tavshilim. Give it a sec, give it a second, I'll tell you why. And if a non-Jew made it, made the small fish into kasad de harsena asur. Kasad de harsena was a delicacy once upon a time, and it's a reference to a type of cook, a type of cooked piece or dish which had small fish in it. But additionally, Rashi explains it has shuman shuman kibedagim and kemah. You took the fat of the innards and innards of fish and you mixed it together with flour. That was kasad de harsena. You cooked it or fried it. No, metugan, metugan, fried. Metugan. So if the non-Jew didn't just take the, the fish which were salted and then fry them and then roast them and then cook them, but rather mix them together with Kemah, mix them together with flour. What's the halakha? Asur. Why is it asur? In such a circumstance, Rashi, such a circumstance, Rashi points out, the kemah in ne'echal kemoshu hai. Although the fish now which were salted are eaten kemoshin hai, raw, uh, flour is not. The fact that the flour was mixed in, it's osirid, it makes it forbidden to eat. Says the Gemara, pish. Says the Gemara, of course, if it's, if it's not kosher, it's not good. Says the Gemara, Peshita, isn't this simple? I mean, the fact that you have now flour in, shouldn't that invalidate it? Says the Gemara, Mahuditema, what would you maybe have thought to say? Harsena ikar, kamashma'lan kimha ikar. Maybe you would have said that the additional parts of this dish, meaning the flour, is not the ikar, is not the primary part, but rather the harsena, the fish itself is the primary part. So when I looked at this cooked fish dish, I say, well, what's the primary? Oh, it's the fish. And since I say it's the fish, and the fish was already nechal kemoshu hai, so the whole dish is permitted, there's no problem of bishule goyim. The hidush of the gemara is that we quantify, we, we establish, and we explain that when you deal with the kasad harsena, the kimha, the kemah, the additional flour is actually the ikar. What you do see emergent from this Gemara, and Tosafot takes attention, pays attention to this here and elsewhere, is that when I'm dealing with Bishule Nochrim, I'm going to pay attention specifically to what the Ikar is. I'm going to pay attention to the fact that whatever the primary substance and foodstuff in this item is, that's what's going to define in term uh, what this item is. And as a result, I'll have to test this. The primary part of it is the primary part if only if the answer is you know correct in those will it be problematic so the beracha is going to be defined by the kemah you're going to be saying here and in as a result 
test in this sort of context something along the lines of uh, beer. What's the beracha on beer? By extension, can a non-Jew brew my beer? And they do. We, we equate these two. It's a great, it's a great way of doing it. it very often. What's that? Okay. So, so interestingly, it, I'm, I'm happy to ask that question here. It's not per se dependent upon this because over here you, we're talking about a dish which is made with the kemah, right? A dish which is made with flour. What you're talking about is literally breaded. It's breaded on top. The halakha in a breaded situation, according to Hacham of Adya Yosef, this machloket haposkim, is schnitzel and matters of that sort are indeed mezonot. Mezonot, generally speaking, trumps all others and becomes the ikar immediately. To the extent that it's not everyone practices this, and it is talui b'machloket ha'aharonim, but shnitzel according to hacham v'adiyasef, because of that breading, is indeed mezonot, a little counterintuitive. You say, I'm eating chicken, I'm not eating breading. So it is. Says the Gemara onward, I'm... Without the fish, now, according to this, right now, they're saying that fish will be eaten on a king's table. Right? They're saying that. Yes. Okay. Are you surprised by that? Yeah. Yeah. Not only are they saying that Tosafot questions our Gemara, this right-hand side Tosafot, because our Gemara is assuming that small fish, if it's um, if it's salted, is a, is a, is not a problem. It's and as a result, you can eat it, and you can put it, you can put it as a result as well. Um, as your Eruv Tafshilin Tosafot asks an explicit contradiction. The Gemara in Masechet Avodah talks about small fish. Being prohibited. Oh, one second, I'm confused. Answers Tosafot, they're small and they're small. Answers Tosafot, some types of fish which are bigger are only Al-Shuhan Melachim. Our Gemara is referring to potentially a different type. Ultimately speaking, you need to, you need one of these in order to permit. If it's eaten raw, it's permitted, even if it's only Al-Shuhan Melachim. Even if they serve apples all over the place at every wedding, you're allowed to eat it, even if it's cooked by a non-Jew, assuming it's all kosher foodstuffs and things that go into it. Um, but, but that is the halakha. Yes, fish is considered an important food to that extent. That's why it's not right. There you go. And fish was the primary part of Shabbat meal. Once about Shohan Aruch, the very beginning of Hilchot Shabbat, talks about preparing fish for your meal. Some people overlook this today, but traditionally we had fish at our Shabbat meals always. Says the Gemara, Amar Biaba Eruve Tavshilin Sirichin Kazait. The statement here of Rabbi Abba is that Eruv Tavshili needs the measurement of Kazait. It says the Gemara, I have a question. What does that mean? Kazait Iba'aya lehu, Kazait Echad lekulan, Odilma Kazait lekole Echad vechad. Does that mean that if I'm preparing for my family of seven, I need seven Kazaitim? Or does it alternatively mean I need one? Does it go by every individual who's going to benefit from this Eruv Tavshilin? Or does it go as the collective is considered one? Tashema, come and listen to the statement of the Amar, Rabbi Abba Amarav, Eruv Tavshilin, Sirichin Kazait, Ben Lehad, Ben Explicitly, the statement is that how do we determine the Kazait measurement, irrespective of whether you have 100 people who are going to benefit from the Eruv Tavshilin or just one person, one Kazait is sufficient. We go based on the item and not based on the benefit. Of those who are benefiting. Tenan says Gemara, we have a Mishnah which might challenge this. Achalo Oshe Abad, Lo Yevashel Alav Batechila, Shien Mimenu Kol Shehu, Somech Alav Le Shabbat. 
This is the Mishnah that Jesse was quoting earlier. The Mishnah says for us that if the Eruv Tafshilin was lost or if it was eaten, well, you can't now start and say, I'm going to make my Eruv Tafshilin. The Eruv Tafshilin needed to be prepared, be prepared from beforehand. However, if if even though on Yom Tov I ate from, my children ate from, and there's, uh, there's not much left of my Eruv Tafshilin, as long as there's a Kol Shehu, it's sufficient to work for cooking for Shabbat. Wait a second, the words are kol shehu. This was Jesse's question. Our Mishnah says explicitly the measurement of Eruv Tavshilin is not kazait. The measurement is, well, there is no measurement. It's kol shehu. My kol shehu answers the Gemara. Lava valgav, excuse me, lava valgav Questions the Gemara. What does it mean when we said kol shehu? Doesn't that mean even if there's not a kazait? The words kol shehu mean any of it. Any of it means even less than kazait. Law answers the Gemara, Gemara. No, it's not so. Di'it ba be kazait. When the Mishnah mentioned the words kol shehu, it really meant it's remaining a kazait. Why do you use the words kol shehu? Kol shehu is very misleading. Explains Rashi. Explains Rashi that the reason lo di'it be kazait ulegabe kikar shalem karele kol shehu. Explains Rashi what the Mishnah's wording, its terminology of even a little bit is compared to what you began with. What you begin with? You began with a full loaf. And as a result, even though I have a little remaining, the little is a kazayit. But why'd you say kol shehu? Because you started with a full amount. Do you understand what the reading of the Gemara then is? So the Gemara challenged the notion, the statement that you need a kazayit for your eruv tavshilin. From our Mishnah, Mishnah said kol shehu. The answer is, our Mishnah didn't mean kol shehu. It meant kol shehu, anything, compared to the full amount you started with. So it's a full amount. I started with uh, 25 kazaitim. I have just one kazait left over. That's okay. But when we said kol shehu, we didn't mean less than a kazait. Parenthetically, we conclude with this. Rashi does in his example of what the Mishnah is talking about. Rashi says, and compared to a kikar shalem. What's a kikar, as I said? It's a loaf of bread. Shul, loaf of bread. Why are you talking about a loaf of bread, Rashi? We're talking about Eruv Tavshilin. We had a conversation yesterday. Tosafot and Daf Do you need bread for Eruv Tavshilin? Is bread even sufficient? Abaye told us he can't use bread. There are many women dayek in this Rashi that he mentions. Matter of factly, Kikar Shalem, like Rabbeinu Tam, like his grandson who stipulated and stated that even if you have a Mivushal item, you need as well in order to bake a Kikar of bread, a loaf of bread. Baruch Amen, Amen.